Let's pray together. Let's just be quiet before the Lord for a moment. Father, just thank you for the sense of the presence of Jesus amongst us by the Spirit bringing us to your arms of love. Thank you, Father, that as we come to your word now, we know that in the midst of the written word in Holy Scripture and through the preached or taught word of Holy Scripture, we have this sacred opportunity to encounter the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word who was with God and the word who was God and the word who became flesh. The one, your son, who came from heaven, from you, Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, we know you're here. You promised you'd be here even where two or three gather in your name. So we welcome you. And living word, the one who is with God and is God, touch our hearts, touch our lives, touch our minds, touch our very being. In your name we ask and for your glory we ask. Amen. Amen. If you've still got it, um, could you hold up your, your little piece of Jesus' love? Just hold it high. I hope everybody got a piece. Remember what Beth said, if you didn't, there's some there. Here's what we got down to, representing the world and the love of God. Thanks for holding your bit up. Isn't it a wonderful way to communicate? Beth did such a fabulous job with our children. They'll never forget that. Ross and I went up to the balcony, because we never want to forget the wonderful people up in the balcony. Um, And God never forgets anyone, because he loves everybody. But the amazing thing, the, the, the simple, wonderful truth that Beth taught us is actually, the more you give it away, the more of it there is. Isn't that amazing? The more you, you know, she kept getting even more corners, even more of God's love. It's a a really special and a wonderful thing, but I don't want to be a a bar humbug. I'm not into being bar humbug. I was told at the uh, nine o'clock service by a lady who was at 6.30 this morning listening to a radio program about the thought for today, and I I wouldn't dream of mentioning who it is because I don't know the person, but it's a colleague, it's a Baptist minister in the southwest who started his thought for the day by saying how much he hated Christmas. Uh, To be fair, I'd I'd need to listen to it um, because he might have had an amazingly good reason for why he hates Christmas, but I can't think of what that might be, okay? Because trust me, there'll be ministers who know what it is to, to teach and preach every Christmas, and there'll be those who say, is there anything new to say? Do you know, do you know what I want to say? Yes. But even if there isn't, the story is so wonderful, let's keep telling it. Amen? Because Christmas, despite the fact it all gets a little bit lost, is absolutely wonderful. And the Christmas story is wonderful. Let me ask you another question, without wishing to be bar humbug. Has anyone here ever been shunned, pushed away, hurt, rejected, heartbroken, made to feel like rubbish, made to feel that you're useless, dirty, that perhaps there's something wrong with you because maybe you smell. Ever felt like that? Well, that's what shepherds felt like at the time of Jesus incarnation and his crucifixion and his resurrection and ascension. And we're going to come to a story that I have lost count how many times I've spoken on. And I don't know if there's any fresh revelation, but that's not a yardstick. 
if our hearts get warmed, that will be good. So come with me, please, to Luke chapter 2 and the first 20 verses. And in your pew Bibles, you will find that on page 1027. 1027 in your pew Bibles, Luke 2, 1 to 20. And I'll read it for us. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. I'll read that again because it's the wrong way round. I have a daughter who I love dearly who did it the wrong way round. And the beautiful little granddaughter, Florence, was here last week. And I will never do anything other than thank God for her, even though she came into the world the wrong way round. Because I also had the privilege of doing the wedding blessing for my daughter and her now husband, Florence's daddy, Alex. I hope they're not listening online at this moment. Life's like that nowadays. But it wasn't then if you were Jewish. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, but wasn't yet, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Or the guest room, Cataluma in the Greek. And there were shepherds, shepherds, not shepherds, I've no idea what they are. There were shepherds living, shepherds, there were shepherds, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he's the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning all that had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Isn't this a brilliant story? 
Isn't it wonderful? If you've ever been shunned, if you've ever been rejected, if you've ever been overlooked or ignored or treated as rubbish or made to think that there must be some funny smell about you, then the shepherds can relate to you and you can relate to the shepherds. Because they were the outcasts. In a sense, they were the lost ones. And as we begin to look at the images behind me and we come to this week's message Christmas Lost Restoration. Let me remind you that my brother Ross spoke last week about Christmas Light Revelation, and he said that Jesus is the ultimate Christmas light. I love the way that Fiona and the team and the interns and the artists have decorated this. Doesn't it look beautiful? Thanks, Fiona, and everyone who helped her. Brilliant. But Ross, Ross told us that Jesus is the ultimate light of the world. So where you see the cracker broken and you see love, joy and peace and a crown that comes out of crackers, you see Jesus in red. Why? Because it was going to cost Jesus to come into this world. It's going to cost him everything. He was going to shed his blood. And Jesus is this amazing gift that comes to lost shepherds. Ross told us last week that in the darkness a light is going to shine and dawn on people. And this week we look at the whole thrust of Christmas in a sense. Christmas lost. It's all about restoration. You know the story so well. Mary and Joseph's journey to Bethlehem. The shepherds Uh, encountering first one angel and then a whole host of angels outside Bethlehem, just a short distance from Jerusalem. Shepherds who were looking after the sheep, not shepherds who were wealthy farmers, no, dirty shepherds who were the lowest of the low, who looked after the lambs and the sheep, and the lambs, you know what they were used for, a lot of them? They were the sacrificial lambs for the temple at Jerusalem. The temple that the shepherds were not allowed to enter because they were unclean. And God comes to them. That's typical of God. He doesn't come to the righteous, the self-righteous, the ones that are indignant about how holy they are. He comes to those who are humble. And he comes to these shepherds. Um, As we look at Christmas Lost, let me ask you, I know it's a bit old now, but there was an American uh, TV series uh, that ran from September 2004 to September to May, sorry, 2010, and it ran in the UK later, but it was called Lost. Anyone see it? That dates me, doesn't it, and a few others. But who enjoyed it? Yeah. It got, if you want to know about it, ask Owen or Fiona afterwards. It got very metaphysical, because the people had crashed in an aeroplane, and they were on an island, and they were lost and wondering what their destiny was. But people started to ask, if you're wondering what the word metaphysical was, don't want to insult your intelligence or anything, but people started to wonder whether it represented a kind of a Catholic view of of what you might call purgatory. Were they dead but not aware they were dead? That was one of the big questions. And the authors are people of Christian belief. And the final of the series was like a church gathering in heaven, almost, of these people. Now, whatever you make about the theology, good or bad, when the authors were pressed, was it supposed to represent purgatory? Were they really all dead? Was it heaven? What was it? Damon Lindelhoff and Carlton Hughes, amazing names, said this, it's about people lost and searching for meaning and purpose in their lives. Ever been there? I was until the age of 32. I was an atheist, as most of you know, until the age of 32. 
I didn't believe in God. I was a scientist by background. I taught biology at A-level and psychology at A-level. There was no God. I had a bit of a surprise when I met Jesus. Not physically, I didn't see him. But he's as real to me now as you are. I'm speaking to him this morning. I've been singing songs to him this morning like many of you. But the reality is, I didn't know that as an atheist I had two gods. Sport, particularly rugby, and career were my gods. And I only realized with hindsight I was worshipping. My destiny was to be one of those boring old guys at the rugby club bar with my own tankard, with my name engraved on it, and first 15, however many years I played on the back, and telling those stories like, well, we were a far better team when I was in it. Do you know those kind of people? I wanted to tell myself, I wanted to tell myself that what I'd do is I'd do a bit of study later on and then I'd travel the world a bit when the family were grown up, you know, with Marilyn. I wouldn't. I'd have just been at the rugby club bar every Saturday. And for a particularly long adventure, I'd go for an away game. Jesus has changed my eternal destiny and changed everything. I didn't look lost. I was doing well in my career and my sport, but I did not have meaning and purpose. And like the people in that cast, that's where I was. Do you know there's a lot of people who've lost direction? Do you know that? There's a lot of people. Maybe you've come today and you've lost direction. And in a sense, we've lost the meaning of Christmas. See, the shepherds, in a sense, were lost because they must have sat there on those cold hills looking at the sheep that they didn't own, knowing that everyone rejected them. And they must have at least thought, is this what life's all about? Is this as good as it gets? But it's worse than that. Even the self-righteous Jews, the Hebrews, the chosen people of God, they'd lost their sense of direction. They'd lost it. And you know what? And I want to say this. I love this country. I've got a bit of everything in me, as some of you know. I've got, I've got some Hebrew in me. I've got Italian. I've got Scottish. I've got Irish. I've got English. I've got Scottish. I, I'm a mongrel. I'm proud of it. I'm a League of Nations baby. That's what I am. But I, I love my country, and it's not wrong to love your country. One thing I'd love to do is have a flag from every country represented when we worship at the back of the church. Wouldn't that be cool? Every single nation, start sourcing your flag for your nation. We'll do that maybe in the new year at some stage. But these Jewish people had forgotten that their direction was to be a royal nation, a holy priesthood. They were called to declare the praises of God to the Gentiles who didn't know God. They were chosen not just to be loved, they were chosen for a purpose. And so are you. And so am I. And so are those shepherds. I think our nation has lost its direction. Have you noticed in recent years, those of you who still do the traditional thing and watch the Queen's message, who watches the Queen's message? You should all watch the Queen's message. We're told in Scripture to pray for those in authority over us. Let me ask you a question. Like me, have you seen in the last three or four years, the Queen is saying more and more and more in her Christmas message about Jesus. Seen that? Please don't let me down, Queen Elizabeth, this year. I think she's wonderful, and I bet you she'll do it, because it's in here, it's not just in there, that she is the defender of the faith. Now, we need to be respectful to people of other world religions. We must be respectful. We must stand against Islamophobia, but we must share the Christ with Muslim people. 
And she's a defender of the faith. Her son Charles, who may come to the throne, uh, says he will be the defender of faith. Well, not the faith, but she shares Jesus because she knows there's something unique about Jesus, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will come to the Father except through him. She hasn't lost her direction. I think as she gets older, God bless her, she is more intent on sharing with her subjects, loyal or not loyal, that it's all about Jesus. The ruler at the time of this story was Caesar Augustus. There it is in the first three verses. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Think of the conflict in Syria now. The Middle East is always in conflict. Why? It's a beginning in the heart and the center of everything, and Satan fights hard for it. Pray for the Middle East. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Verse 3, and everyone went to his own town to register. There were some lost demographics going on, okay? Caesar Augustus wanted to get the demographics right. Why? So he could tax people more and oppress the Jews more. So even though he didn't do this with the Jews, he could assess if he needed to raise an army who he could sweep into military service. There was a demographic census. Even a 12-year-old young woman would have to pay taxes. Poll tax. Remember how well that went down in the UK? Demographics. Caesar Augustus, so named Augustus by the Senate to honor him, that was the first step towards this powerful Caesar giving way to other Caesars who would become worshipped as gods. Caesar Augustus was a step at least along the way. By the time we get to the great persecutor of Christians, Diocletian, if you didn't say Caesar is Lord, in other words, he's God, you could be burned, crucified, fed to lions. So he does these demographics. Let's not get bogged down by Quirinius. There's lots of historical evidences that were a, a couple of different censuses. Dr. Luke has done his research well. This is an authoritative historical document that we can depend upon. But there's a lost dynasty described here in these texts. Just look at verse 4. In verse 4, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. See, everyone went to their own town. That means the town of their ancestors, the town where their roots were. It's a bit like the season of Jubilee, the year of Jubilee in a sense. And everyone is called back to that place. Yes, for the demographics. But there's a thought here in my mind about a lost dynasty. David's dynasty. If David had been on the throne, King David, the one who united the tribes, the one who made Israel and the people of God great, maybe he would have driven out the Romans. Oh, there's this Romana Pax, this Pax Romana, this Roman peace which came from crushing people under your jackboot, under your hobnailed sandals. Oppressing them to such an extent they wouldn't put their head above the parapet. That's no kind of peace, is it, the Pax Romana? But it was over most of the known world, the Mediterranean world at that time, and certainly the Romans held swayed here. But there was a longing amongst the Jews for the one who would come, who would take the throne of David, and it was an expectation of a Messiah, which means in Greek, Christ or Christos, which means in English, anointed one, who would drive the oppressors out, 
a political messiah, a king, a ruler on the throne of David. Listen to some of the prophetic scriptures. First of all, from the New Living Translation, from the prophet Micah. Mobilize. This is chapter 5 from verse 1. Marshal your troops. The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. With a rod they will strike the leader of Israel in the face. But you, O Bethlehem, there it is. You, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village in Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the time when the woman in labor gives birth to her son. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land, and he will stand to lead his flock. That's a comforting word to shepherds, isn't it? Do you remember what David did? Now, he was a wealthy landowner, at least his father was, but do you remember what David did before he was a king? He was a shepherd boy. A lot of the psalms of worship that he wrote... He probably wrote and played on his, was it a harp or a lyre? One of the two. But he wrote these beautiful worship psalms, sometimes we put in a contemporary setting. But those shepherds would have known that, and when they would have heard Micah's prophecy, if they could ever get near the temple, which they weren't allowed to visit, he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will arrive there undisturbed for he will be highly honored listen to this all around the world the church is in decline not this one by the grace of god but the church in the west including america is in decline it's tragic but you want to know what the two-thirds world so-called is like ask aaron and sarah the church is exploding millions of people in china millions upon millions of them are now christian the church of Jesus Christ is exploding. He'll be known all around the world. And he will be, listen to this, the source of our peace. Not the Pax Romana, a military, brutalized peace. No, the peace of the Prince of Peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. The one who brings peace into the world. The one who says... I give you my peace, not the way the world gives. I don't give it with one hand and snatch it back. I leave my peace with you. So this is an amazing story about these shepherds, but it's an amazing story about the lost dynasty of people. Let me go to another prophet, the prophet Isaiah. Now, as I'm reading this, let me explain to you. Prophecy sometimes is criticized because it's it, it, other fulfillments of seen, and therefore critical scholars say, oh, it's not really talking about Jesus. Here is a typical one. In Isaiah 7, it says this. I'll read from verse 13, but verse 14 is the key. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? You see, the, the people had lost their sense of destiny, their sense of direction, their sense of purpose, because they forgot they were called to be a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, declaring the praises of God to the world. Jesus overturned the tables, not just because of the money changes, but because they turned the temple into what he called a den of robbers, when it should have been a house of prayer for all nations. Jews chosen, chosen for a purpose. They're trying the patience of God, Isaiah 7, 13. But 
verse 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a, a sign. What does it say? Hang on, what does it say in Luke 2? What does the angel say? In the town of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Let's go back to Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be, will be with child. Now, unless you correct me, and I used to teach A-level biology, and I used to teach GCSE sex education, virgins don't have babies. But this one does. I'll tell you why, and she'll give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is no natural baby. This is a completely human, normal baby who grows and eats and dies on a cross. But this is the very Son of God planted into the womb of a virgin, not by Joseph, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a Christmas miracle, isn't it? It's wonderful. And the lost dynasty of these Jewish people, that the shepherds were going to step up to the plate and bring this good news that there's one coming who will indeed rule on David's throne. Because when I go back to Isaiah, and I go to chapter 9 of Isaiah, just a couple of chapters after the <coughs> prophetic sign, which kind of had other fulfillments, but like mountains as you're on top of a mountain looking into the distance, if there's a big mountain there, you don't see the little mountain or the medium-sized mountain behind it. You only see the big mountain further in the future. And that is what prophecy's like. So here you have got... For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. Listen to these titles. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. At the beginning of that chapter, Isaiah said that a son is being given. Uh, beginning of that reading, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The fulfillment of this prophecy is Emmanuel, God with us. But listen to what he goes on to say. Of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Do you ever get frightened about where the world's going? When we talk about Christmas lost, do you think the world is in such a bad state? It might just be lost. I mean, you see President Putin marshalling his armies, and you see him threatening to create the new empire. Do you see that? Now, I know that you might be reassured that we have exactly the right people in the most powerful nations to, to deal with that. And I'm not going to go there because that's a delicate subject for anyone, including those that we love who are amongst us from the USA. But I want to say this, I'm a child who remembers, some of you never even heard of it, the Cold War. Heard of that? I'm a child who remembers the nuclear threat, the threat of, no, I'm not a child, I'm a grown man, but I was a child. The nuclear holocaust, and it used to make me quake in lessons at school. I used to think, we could all be over, in a flash, quite literally. But I want to tell you this. I know it's an axiom. I know it's even a cliche. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. It's the Prince of Peace. 
and of the increase of his government, it will never end. And it's the one who is the creator of the universe, the one through whom all things were made and for whom all things were made. And he comes to lowly shepherds. Don't you just love that? We could talk about lost dignity here. Do you remember me mentioning that Mary was pledged to be married? It was a lengthy betrothal, good as marriage, but she falls pregnant. She's late on in her confinement when she starts this journey. She's been to Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth, her cousin, has got a baby in her womb, and that's John the Baptist, and the baby in her womb leaps for joy as he's full of the Holy Spirit. But that was uncomfortable, but I'm a bloke, so I wouldn't know. But I've been woken up in the night laying next to Marilyn when one of the babies... I thought she'd elbowed me in the side. She was fast asleep and the baby kicked me. Ever had that experience? No, there's some young couples who are looking forward to their first child going, oh my word, no. The, the fact is, Mary would have been spoken ill of. Joseph was spoken ill of. She's been to Elizabeth. He was probably glad to have to go to Bethlehem. The shepherds, as we've heard, had no dignity. But Mary is going to lay this baby boy in a manger. Listen to these verses, verses 5 to 11. It's staggering. The very Son of God. Uh, Joseph went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths in cloths. That's what they did at the time to make the baby feel secure, to protect the extremities, to keep the baby warm and to protect it. Bound the child up and laid him in a manger. Now we know that that is an animal feeding trough. We don't know what the guest room was, but let me tell you the possibility. It could have been a cave. It could have been that there was no room to the inn. But much more likely, she's gone back to her own relatives or Joseph's relatives. It's the ancestral hometown. And they're probably in the downstairs room. There's no guest room. So the downstairs room of a modestly poor family. That's where the animals were kept. Why? To protect them from those who would steal them. To keep the animals warm at night. But also to keep the people on the upper floor warm at night. Because from the animals' bodies, the heat would rise to the upper room. It's not the only thing that would rise to the upper room from the animals. But that's where the manger was, and that's where the creator of the universe was laid in swaddling clothes. And that's who the shepherds saw. Emmanuel, God with us. Wow. This sign to them is a sign that they've got a new destiny. And do you know what? They lost their diffidence. Old-fashioned word, but it begins with D, so I used it. Diffidence is a modesty or a shyness resulting from lack of self-confidence. Anyone ever feel a bit like that? A modesty or a shyness resulting in lack of... Can I encourage you? Please give away these last invitations. Don't leave them in the pews this week. Take them and give them away. You'll also see these wonderful invitations to a Christianity Explored course starting, as we've said, on the 11th of January at 7.30 right here at church on that Wednesday night. Let's overcome our diffidence because that's what happened to the shepherds. Listen to verses 16 to 20. They'd been terrified by this angel, possibly Gabriel, it doesn't say, and then the heavenly host appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around because these angels had been in the presence of God. The angel brings them peace 
And then they get this commission, if you like. Let's read from verse 16. Let's go to Bethlehem, verse 15, and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16, so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning all that had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Do you know the shepherds had lost their difference? They, they didn't care anymore. They knew someone was going to go, why should I listen to you? You stink. Why should I listen to you talking about God? You're not even allowed at the temple, mate. Why should we believe anything that you say? You're uneducated rabble. You're the outcasts. But they didn't say that. They were just amazed. They were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, and I love this, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. We're going to end with praise today after this message in a moment. They glorified and praised God for all the things they'd heard and they'd seen, which were just as they'd been told. We read that they spread the word everywhere in this text. It says in verse 17, when they'd seen him, they spread the word everywhere. Do you know, I was over the moon when a couple of parents told me that their daughter is one of three young ladies from this church who have got involved in the Christian union at their school, a good school in this city, no names. And that's grown from about half a dozen people. They had 20 to 25 people there at the last time. That's good, isn't it? Pray for them. Pray for that group. Our interns, and some of them were a bit diffident. Any interns want to own up to that? Some of them were a bit diffident when they went out on, um, on Friday and they took into our city invitations. Some of us perhaps a bit diffident when we took 2,000 invitations last Sunday night. And some of us were maybe a little bit diffident when we're on the steps of the church singing carols and giving mince pies out and hot drinks yesterday as people came in. But you know, there's one family that came in. As I look around, they might even be with us today. They're from Iran. They've been coming to church and the mother sat in one of the pews down here and she sobbed as she prayed for her sister who's still in that nation. They were hearing some good news. They experienced good news. Joyful singing, warm drinks, nice cakes, handmade. But they were chatted with and encouraged and prayed with. That's the opportunity you and I have. We can't afford to be diffident. I need to move towards a close. You see, the message isn't just about Christmas lost, it's about restoration. And I want to say that Christmas restoration is about a restored dignity. Jesus does wash the feet of his disciples. He cleans us up. He restores our dignity. He gives shepherds a sense of not only dignity, but destiny. It's about restored destiny. It's about a sense of restored purpose. I'm so glad. I still love rugby. And I'm so glad that my only highlight in the week isn't to go and watch the game and have a moan over a beer afterwards. I get the privilege of traveling the world and speaking about Jesus, the one I love. Meaning and purpose. Restored purpose. Jesus said he came that we'd have life in all its fullness, abundant life. Not just pie in the sky when we die or Christmas cake on a plate before it's too late. Abundant life. And do you know what's at the heart of that? Restored relationships. I'm going to ask you to help me, otherwise my voice will be inflicted upon you. But you know that those who've written carols have sung a lot about shepherds. So please don't leave me singing solo. That wouldn't be good for you. 
Let's go for it until I give the sign. While shepherds watch. Ready? Come on. While shepherds watch their flocks by night. Very good. What about this one? It's, oh, come all ye faithful. But this verse goes, see how the shepherds summon to his cradle, leaving their flocks draw nigh to gaze. Please help me out. Oh, this one. Angels from the realms of glory. And verse 2 says, Shepherds in the fields abiding, watching all your flocks by night. God with man is now residing, yonder shines the infant light. Oh, you wanted to sing the chorus, didn't you? But you know my favorite, Christina Rossetti. Christina Rossetti, maybe it's because she's Italian, I don't know. In the bleak midwinter. You know it? And I love this bit. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd bring a lamb. But better than that, I like this bit. Let's sing it, shall we? What can I give him? Ready? What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd... If I were a shepherd, I would bring. If I were a wise man, I'd do my part. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Cut. Yet what can I give him? You know the only thing you can give Jesus? Give my heart. Give my heart. Not just to get saved from sin and lostness in eternity, but to get saved for abundant life right now and eternity full of life and saved for a purpose so that we can give our hearts, that we can take this world, or at least the bits we can influence, and we can give away the love of Jesus. Because when we give it away, as Beth told us, we've got even more to give. The shepherds did it. You and I can do it. And if we do it this Christmas, it might just change someone's eternal destiny. Let's pray. Father God, the final verse in our reading is that the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Father, I thank you for the young teacher who told me that three of her colleagues with all of their families will be at the service tonight for alternative carols. Lord, that is wonderful in and of itself, but if they are touched by your love, how much more will she, like those shepherds, glorify and praise you for all the things that you've spoken into her life that she shared simply by giving a Christmas invitation. Lord, you are worthy of all our praise. We're going to praise you now. Help us to do that with all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.